0: Hello, and welcome to Kingwood United Methodist Church. Thank you for joining us today. Wherever you're listening from and whatever service you're listening to, we strongly believe because of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, there is always to life. Good to be with y'all here today. Uh, I would just like, before we get started, to announce uh, or discuss a controversy that happened this past week. Um, Y'all may have seen the announcement, uh, and I just wanted to clear the record, that uh, Bert in the announcements last week decided to slander my name and only include Erica in winning of the Trunk or Treat. And I would just like to share that I did help Erica with the Trunk or Treat. It was like an 85-15% share. I will give her that. But I did help, and so the award is equally as mine, just as much as it is her. And also, people have been giving me a lot of uh, ragging on me a lot about all the big talk about trunk or treat, but you know what I think I do? I raise the excellence of those around me. So <laughs> you're welcome, everyone, and you should really be thanking me for raising the bar of the quality of these trunks, because we're just going to blow you out of the water. We have, Eric has worked on the trunk for about 30 hours, I would guess, already, so I mean, We're we're gunning for the top spot, so if you're going to come, you need to uh, bring your A-game because I surely am, or Erica surely is, which one, one of the two. Good to be with y'all here this morning. Blake, I do see that you are wearing your Red Sox jersey, and I am choosing to ignore it for the sake of the kingdom of God. I know. The lone wolf among us. Is there not any, my love? Okay. We'll make it work. We'll make it work. We'll use, the, we'll use the, the cup that we got if need be. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Thank you. All will be well. All matter of things shall be well. Uh, we're right in the middle of our call series, looking at the different ways that the Lord Jesus calls us to do uh, the ministry that he has equipped us to do. What does it mean that we, as the people of God, all of us gathered here, are called by God? to do the good work that he has set before us. What does that mean, and how are we going to live out that reality? We've been looking at different aspects of calling throughout this series. And so for the first week, we talked about how there's hope in calling because each and every single one of us is called by the Lord. Each and every single one of us has a purpose given to us by God, and that we can find hope that God is going to call us. Last week, we talked about how God shows up for us in our calling, that even when the Lord calls us to do difficult things like Esther, that God gives us the courage and the boldness to be able to pursue and go after what He has called us to do. This week, we're going to be looking a bit at the flip side of that coin. What happens when we already know what God has called us to do, and we willfully choose to disobey it anyways? What happens when we are disobedient to God's call on our lives? Uh, if you're guessing what scripture we're going to be in, it's going to be the book of Jonah. And if you guess Jonah, you are correct. So we're going to be looking at Jonah's story if you want to open your Bibles. And Jonah is one of the unique prophetic books because there's really not any discourse of prophecy to Scott. Um, there's no discourse of prophecy. Like when you look at Isaiah or Ezekiel, uh, they have these like long discourses of prophecy, of predictive of what's going to happen to Israel in the future. You don't really see any of that in, book of, in the book of Jonah. It's a, it's a narrative. It's a story. It's the, it's the only prophetic book that tells a full story. And what we can see in the book of Jonah is how God calls him and shapes him and forms him. Starting in Jonah 1, verses 1 through 3, God's call upon Jonah's life. The word of the Lord came to the son of, to Jonah, son of Amatai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord, and he headed down to Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. And after paying his fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. And so you all know then the story of what happens afterwards uh, it's been told over and over in kids' stories about a big fish coming and swallowing Jonah. So Jonah's on his way to Tarshish, the opposite end. So Nineveh, if you know your geography, is in Iraq or Iran, sort of that Middle East area. And then Tarshish is all the way in Spain. And if you know geography, those are opposite ends, literally the other way around. And so Jonah runs from the Lord, and then on, his, on the boat, there's a storm coming, and all the sailors say, what's going on? And Jonah says, well... I may have made God angry because I'm actively disobeying him. And the sailors goes, yeah, that probably sounds about right. And so they cast lots, and Jonah's lot comes up, and so they throw Jonah off the boat. And then they throw Jonah off the boat, and immediately everything calms down. And then this big fish swallows Jonah, as you well know. And so Jonah has this encounter with the Lord in the middle of the, in the, middle of the belly of the fish, And then in the middle after this, after Jonah spit up on dry land, we see that God calls Jonah again in in chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. Scripture says this, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. And Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went down to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a large city and it took three days to go through it. And again, so Jonah goes through Nineveh and he preaches uh, one of the worst sermons. He just says one word over or one sentence, repent or else Nineveh is going to be destroyed. That's about it. And then the entire city repents and Nineveh is spared from God's wrath. And Jonah says, this is literally the worst outcome that could have happened. Jonah chapter 4 verses 1 through 2, it says this, but to Jonah this, the mercy of God... Seemed very wrong. And he became angry and he prayed to the Lord. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. And so, why was Jonah so upset? Why was he so mad? that God showed mercy to these people. We need to know who these people were. They were the Assyrians. Last week, we talked about Babylon and the evil Babylonian empire. So the Assyrians came before Babylon. Babylon overthrew Assyria. Uh, The Assyrians were worse than Babylon. They were the worst uh, nation, I would say one of the most evil empires in the history of the world. So imagine the atrocities that you've seen on television about the Taliban, I want you to multiply that by 10, and over the span from Egypt to Iran, that was the Assyrian Empire, an empire that ruled through fear and terror. If there was an uprising against one of their conquered peoples, they would go and decimate the population, and they would replant people in that community. They would intermarry with the people groups there, with the Syrians so that their descendants would be loyal to Assyria and not their previous country. Just an awful empire. And Jonah, it's interesting, Jonah's in the historical books. Jonah's serving one of the kings of Israel when God calls him. So it says this in 2 Kings 14, 25. I'll start at verse 23. In the 15th year of Amaziah, Son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, king of Israel, became the king in Samaria, and he reigned 41 years. Jeroboam did evil in the eyes of the Lord and did not turn away from any of the sins that Jeroboam, son of Nabat, which he had caused Israel to commit. He was the one who restored the boundaries of Israel from Lebhamoth to the Dead Sea. In accordance with the word of the Lord, the God of Israel had spoken through his servant Jonah. The son of Amati, the prophet from Goth Heffar. Jonah's a court prophet to an evil king in Israel. And Israel did not like the Assyrian Empire. The Assyrians were the enemies of the Israelites. And so you see that it's from this place that God calls Jonah go and essentially evangelize, preach a message of judgment and possible redemption to the city of Nineveh. And we see what Jonah's response was going back to the book of Jonah, chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amatai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord, and he headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. What we can see is when we get the call of God on our life like this, that when we run from our calling, we're also running from the Lord. That when we run away from our calling, we are also running from God. The call on Jonah's life was difficult. I think it's important that we know that this was a difficult thing for Jonah to do. Go to the evil empire. Go to your worst enemy and preach against them. Now, this was a difficult call on Jonah's life. But this is where God wanted him to go and serve because sometimes the call of God on our life is to serve in ways or go to people that we may not necessarily want to do. That God may call us to go to our enemies and serve them and show God's grace to them. And so God, Jonah hears this call of God to go to Nineveh. And he willfully chooses to go in the opposite direction. He chooses to flee not just as calling. But as verse 3 says, he sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. That he is literally trying to flee from God as well. That when Jonah runs from his calling, he doesn't just run from the call, but he runs from God himself. You know, we talked about the first week, the difference between the general and the specific calling of God, that we have this general call as all Christians to be disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ, to follow in the ashes, to follow the dust of our master, to follow so closely to Jesus, we're covered in his dust. That's a general call of discipleship. And then as we follow Jesus, he's going to have us go one way or the other. And that's the specific call in our lives where God says, hey, go do this. I'm going to go do this. Come do it with me. And if we're following after Jesus, if calling is following after our Lord, then when we don't follow the call of God, we're also not following God himself. We're going in the opposite direction. The first week, I also told the story about Bishop Willimon. For those of you who weren't here, I'll share it real quick that there was this woman who came to Duke University. He was a chaplain at Duke. And this young woman comes, and she's going to Duke to study to be a lawyer. And then while she's at Duke, she has this profound encounter with the Lord, and the Lord calls her to go and be a missionary to Africa. And the Bishop Wilamon goes to this woman and says, I'd love to meet your parents. You know, you're a great, godly young woman. I'd love to meet the parents who raised you. And she says, I don't know about that. My parents don't like you all that much. And he's like, I don't know why. I'm amazing. And so she says, well, they blame you for me going to be an African missionary. So the day of graduation comes, and Bishop Wilmon meets with this young woman's parents, and the mom goes up to the bishop, and she says, you, you're the one who made my daughter throw her life away. And Bishop Wilmon was taken aback, and he says, well, you were the one who raised her in the church, so really, this is your fault. God was the one who called her. You were the one who decided to raise her in the church of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one who called her. And then at this response, the woman just starts crying. Mom just starts crying, and she says, I never wanted this for her. I never wanted her to throw her life away like this. All I wanted was for her to be a good person. Because what we sometimes want in our Christian life is to follow after Jesus as long as it fits within our plan." in for joining us for today's message. We will return to the sermon in a moment, but first, we would like to ask for you to rate, share, and subscribe to our podcast. We believe God is doing some amazing things here at KUMC, and your feedback helps our church to reach new listeners that we wouldn't otherwise be able to reach. Now, let's get back to the work. long as it fits within our preconceived notion of what it means to follow after Jesus. But one thing that's interesting about God is he loves to disrupt our plans. He loves to lead us to places that make us uncomfortable. He loves to have us follow after him and he's going to take us to a rough area of town or a rough people group that we are, don't like really talking to and Jesus says, no, no, that's where I'm going, that's where I'm already at, you need to come along with me. And so Jesus will call us to places that make us uncomfortable, call us to stretch us and grow us. But sometimes we want to follow after Jesus but not go where he's going or not to hear the call in his life to go where he's calling us to go. We want to follow after Jesus but not follow his calling Those are mutually exclusive things because the call of God is going to make us uncomfortable. It's going to stretch us and grow us because it forces us to rely deeper on him, deeper on his grace and his mercy. I heard this story at New Room, and I thought it was a really, or not story, point at New Room, and it was a really great point that Jesus was the worst small group leader there is. That when you look at the people that Jesus assembled to be his disciples, one of the prime examples that he put people in a small group that had no business being in a small group together. So you have Matthew, who's a tax collector. Tax collectors were corroborators with the Roman oppressors, corroborators with the Roman Empire. They were the symbol of traitors of their people. That they worked with Rome to oppress their people, and they were hated and despised by their people. So Jesus says, you're a tax collector, you're going to be one of my twelve. And then Jesus also goes to Simon, who's a zealot. Whenever you read zealot in the gospel, I want you to think a terrorist against Rome. And They were people who worked actively to overthrow the Roman government. That they're the people who said, we need to restore Jewish identity, restore Israeli identity, that we need to overthrow this oppressive government. And Jesus says, I'm going to take you, and I'm going to take you, and you are both my followers now. Figure it out. Good luck. He puts two people who had no right being in a small group together, and he says, you both are going to follow me. Because what God does is he made them both uncomfortable. Then following after Jesus, he transformed their lives and he allowed them to see the image of God in each other rather than these barriers and these hatred that they had let divide them. Because that's what God does. Who does this? The Lord does this. Sometimes God will give us a holy burden or a holy discontent for something in the world and we say, ah, I don't want to do that. That's going to make me uncomfortable. And so we're like Jonah and we choose to disobey and run to Tarshish, run the other way. A disobedience to our calling, disobedience to where Jesus is inviting us deeper and inviting us to go where he is going. It impacts our community and it impacts those around us. We look at Jonah's story, and we see if Jonah did not go to Nineveh, it would have profoundly impacted the city of Nineveh. That our disobedience has an impact on others. Remember, there was this one time when I first moved here, I was getting a new phone, and we were at the Verizon store, and for whatever reason, it takes forever to get those phones done. We were there for like an hour and a half. Now I remember about probably halfway through, I felt this little prick in my spirit Uh, And I felt the Lord say to me, hey, uh, I want you to evangelize to this woman. And I'm like, "Nah, Jesus, hard pass on that. Um, I'm off the clock. Uh, It's my off day. Uh, You know, I think this is really not what you want from me. Besides, it would just be really weird if I evangelized to her, if I brought up spiritual things. She doesn't really want to hear this. Lord, I, I really don't want to do this. And so what I did is I just, I kept, Feeling this pressure and what I did is I just kept pushing it down and down and I, I ignored it. And I left and I never shared my faith with her. That our disobedience has impact on others. And yet, and yet, hear this friends. In the middle of our disobedience, right in the middle of where we fail the Lord, right in the middle where we choose to ignore God's call, Right in the middle of that, there is profound grace in our disobedience. There is profound grace right in the middle of our disobedience. Let's look at the book of Jonah again. Jonah swallowed up by the big fish. You all know that part of the story. This is Jonah's prayer in the middle of the fish. And I want you to hear the words of grace that Jonah says. From the inside of the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God, and he said... In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me, Grace. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. your hear Grace. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again to your holy temple, Grace. The engulfing waters threatened me and the deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountain I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. Grace. To those who cling to worthless idols, turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord, grace. In the middle, right smack in the middle of Jonah's disobedience, we see God's grace. For even when we disobey, what happens when the reason we're not following God's call is because we've willfully chosen to go the other way? Where is God in the middle of our failure? He's right there showering us with grace. You know, it's funny. Jonah tried to leave and flee to Tarshish to flee from God, and yet God finds him on the way to Tarshish. In the middle fleeing from the Lord, God's grace meets him. We can't outrun God's grace. We cannot go to the other side of the world and escape the grace of God. Because God's grace is always there calling us back home, calling us back to himself. And in our own disobedience like Jonah... God is always there. God comes to Jonah and he rescues him. It's interesting, he rescues him through a fish because sometimes God's grace looks like being swallowed up by a big fish. It's like a wake-up call. Hey, Jonah, you're on the wrong path. Hey, Jonah, it's time to turn around. Jonah, it's time to go home. Jonah, it's time to stop what you're doing and to go back to what you know is right. Jonah, it's time for us to turn around together. What's interesting, at my old church, which was a recovery church, a lot of people who had been set free from addiction, so many of their stories started off the same way. Uh, I got arrested, and the court took away my kids away from me, and that was the greatest thing that happened in my life, because it woke me up to the reality of where I was, Sometimes God's grace is like that. It's being swallowed up by a big fish. It's being awakened that sometimes God's grace is letting us hit rock bottom so that he can then lift us up from the bottom of the pit and set our feet on solid ground, put a new song in our mouth, a hymn of praise to our God as the Psalms say. But there's profound grace even when we're at the bottom of the pit, even when we're in the belly of the fish, even when it seems like through our own fault we have messed everything up. Where is God? He's right there lifting us up, bringing us back to himself. If you're out there thinking that you failed God, that through your disobedience you've let him down, know that it is his kindness that leads you back home. It is his gentleness that makes us great. It's this heart of a loving father always leading us back to the right path, always leading us back home. After I failed to share my faith with that woman, I was agonizing over it on the way home. I had failed God. I willfully had ignored it, and I was just, it was just eating me up on the inside and just agonizing about it. And Erica very uh, upsettingly said, we should pray about it. And I was like, all right, Fine. And so we pray about it, and I spend time listening to the Lord, and she was right, I needed to do that. As you we were praying about it, I felt the Lord say, Jeremy, don't worry, I'll send someone else to her. Jeremy, I'm not done with her yet. I've not abandoned her, I'm there with her right now. Jeremy, I still love you. There'll be other opportunities in the future. There'll be other times. In the middle of even my disobedience, God's grace was poured out into my life when I didn't do anything to deserve it. And we see this grace in Jonah's story that Jonah is called again by the Lord. Jonah's called again by the Lord. Jonah 3, verses 1 through 3. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. So Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Like God called Jonah a second time. God didn't look at Jonah and say, All right, you had your one shot. You failed. Tough. Uh, you're in the middle of this fish right now. Uh, good luck. I'm going to spit you back up on the sea and then ta ta, toodaloo, bye bye, Jonah. No more God for you. That's not what happens says it spits him up on dry land and then the Lord calls Jonah again. The Lord calls Jonah again when it's our fault. I think oftentimes we think with our calling, what happens when I don't hear God's call? What happens when I don't know what God's call is for my life? What happens when I know the call of God and I choose not to do it? And I choose to do the exact opposite. We see that even in our willful disobedience, Knowing full well what we're doing, God gives us grace to bring us back home again. Romans says, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. That whenever we try to out-sin, we can never out-sin God's grace. And finally, the thing that we can see from Jonah's story is that our call is meant to be transformative. Pursuing our calling is meant to be transformative. It's interesting, the story of Jonah functions as a mirror for Israel about what they believed about other nations. The common belief in Israel at that time was we are God's chosen people, which means that God loves us only and no one else, that we are the chosen ones. We are perfect. God loves us and only us. And the book of Jonah is meant to say, no, the Lord loves even the enemy that you want to be destroyed more than anything else, that grace is for them as well. Grace will be poured out on them as well. It's meant to be a mirror for Israel and say, look, look at my character. Look how far your heart is from my character. The hope for Jonah's life was that his heart would be transformed by pursuing this call. You can see it in the exchange that the Lord has with Jonah at the end in chapter 4. Jonah, flees, he goes to Nineveh, Nineveh repents, and the Lord, Jonah's angry with the Lord. It says in verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 1, But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. And he became angry and he prayed to the Lord, isn't this just what I said when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing from Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and bounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Being a drama queen, Jonah says this, now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. And then what's interesting is then the Lord brings up a plant, and the Lord kills the plant. And Jonah's more upset about the plant dying than rejoicing over Nineveh being saved. And that says this, in Jonah 4, starting verse 10, but the Lord said, "You have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. Should I not have concern over the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell? the right hand from their left. But the Lord says, you should care more about these people. You should be transformed by what I've done among these people. That pursuing our calling is meant to be transformative in our lives. That the hope was for Jonah that his heart would be transformed, yet he resists the transformation He resisted the transforming nature that calling can have on our lives because our call is meant to transform us, yet we can choose to resist its transforming power. God saw in Jonah a heart that lacked grace for others. So what did he do? He sent them to people that he hated the most. God took Matthew, a tax collector, and Simon, a terrorist, for people like Matthew. He put them in the same small group. That God calls people deeper and makes us uncomfortable and has us go to places where we can be more transformed and reflect the glory of the one who has redeemed us from brokenness. That calling is an invitation to deeper discipleship where we trust God more and we do the things that God tells us to do and if we let it transform us like it's supposed to, we become more and more like him. Uh, Some of you may know, some of you may not know, the Lord put a call on my heart to be a church planner someday. I don't know when that'll be. I don't know someday in the future. Uh, It'll come eventually, I trust the Lord. Lord, called me to be a church planner. Uh, I don't know if you've had a conversation with me in person. Um, I'm not the most social fellow of the bunch. Um, I can be a little awkward at times, which you would think in a church planning situation is not ideal in a role that is very highly relational. I'm not a fan. of just going and talking to strangers in a coffee shop. That's essentially what church planning is in the beginning. It's going and evangelizing to people. That's not my strong suit. That makes me uncomfortable. And yet that's kind of the core of being a church planner. And so it's like, why would God call me in the areas where I am weakest to follow him? because that's exactly what he does. But yes, he calls us in areas where we're strong, but he also calls us in areas where we're weak. and says, put your trust in me, follow me, let me transform you. Rely not on your own strength. Rely on my transforming grace in your life. Christ will push me deeper as I pursue this calling, and I know that he will pursue you as you pursue your calling as well. I invite the communion stewards to come forward. As I was praying about this uh, sermon series, or not this series, this message this morning, I felt that there was a word that if you feel like you've been disobedient to the Lord, if you feel like you've been far from God, know this, that there is always grace to come home. That God meets us in the place of our deepest disobedience, where sin abounds all the more, grace abounds even more. And so we'll see the response questions up on the screen, and the two are this, in what ways have I been disobedient to God's call, and what ways have I been like Jonah? The second is, will I trust Christ to transform me as I pursue his call on my life? So the reason we are able to experience grace is because One night before Jesus was betrayed, before he sacrificed his body on a cross and died for us, he took bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body which is broken for you whenever you eat of it, do it in remembrance of me. And then when the supper was over, he took the cup, gave thanks to God the Father and he said, this is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins whenever you drink of it, do it in remembrance of me. And so, Lord, pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and juice. Lord, call us to be more faithful. Pour out your profound grace upon us. Lord, transform us. Pour out callings on the people here. Call them deeper into yourself as we pursue after you and we remain more and more perfect in love until we feast at your heavenly banquet. And we enjoy fellowship with you and one another forever and ever as we pray the prayer that you taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation,